Postcards from a Dying World, the podcast. For more than a decade, I've reviewed over 1,000 books that are mostly science fiction, horror, and bizarro. This feed will feature bonus audio I have produced over the years, as well as a monthly digest of reviews based on what I've read each month, plus the occasional bonus material about my own fiction. Thanks for listening. All right, welcome to the Postcards from a Dying World bonus podcast feed. And if you're watching on YouTube, um, welcome to that too. Um, I'm David Agronoff, author of Punk Rock Ghost Story and Boot Boys of the Wolf Right, which are the two books we're going to talk about mostly, which is that with both of those books, which are punk rock books, um, one of the things I wanted to do was record bonus songs and extra material to go with the book. For Punk Rock Ghost Story, there was a very specific reason. And uh, it wasn't really my intention with Boot Boys of the Wolf Frag at the first point, but to my left on the video is um, the grandfather of Vegan Straight Edge, uh, Rat from England, who is a old, old friend of mine. Um, and he is one of the original hardcore solo artists because he did a record as far back as when was the first statement record was it late 80s or first record was 87 87 and rad did a record in 1987 where he played drums bass and guitar all by himself right did the whole deal which the first time i heard the statement record was the first time i, I it occurred to me like one person could do all that that was that was nineteen that was the nineteen ninety. Yeah. And uh that's Rosie uh joining the podcast briefly. Yeah. Um and so so it didn't occur to me until when um in the book at the time that I had written in 2014 was Boot Boys of the Wolf Reich, which for anyone that um uh does not know, this book was the idea was to write a coming of age um story about a small town uh anti-racist skinhead and a lot of people don't even realize that the original skinheads were black and i wanted to do a story that told the history of that but since i'm a horror writer i wanted to do monsters and the idea of um nazi um werewolf um skinheads was was just too fun which, by the way, um, is partially influenced by there's a Robert McCammon novel, a spy novel about a werewolf spy in World War II called Wolf Sour, which was a huge influence on Boot Boys at the Wolf Reich um, in the sense of like just wanting to get the, the Nazi werewolf thing. But so one of the original styles of music that's related to skinheads is a form of street rock called Oi. And Oi is basically, it's a very British style of street punk rock. And Rat came to me, uh, sent me a message and said, and I would love to record an Oi song to go with your book. And I hadn't even thought of the idea. And I, I yeah, we can pause it. All right, so, so I hadn't even thought of the idea of doing, Maybe um, for and listeners that aren't familiar with Oi music, right? why don't you tell them a little bit about the history of Oi and where it comes from and what Oi music sounds like? Well, I think there's people would uh, 
have different views on what Oi is. Oi kind of got taken over by skinheads and Nazis. Although a lot of people would say that Oi wasn't, you know, didn't really come from that sort of scene. So many bands were, some bands were classes being Oi, but they would say they're not in, you know, people, other people would say, well, they're not, they're not Oi, they're just, they're just punk. It was just a bit of a, in a way, it was a shitty label. Yeah. Well, it is kind of a, an annoying term, Oi. And the way Oi is written always is O-I with an exclamation point. That's like, and the history, there's a lot of really great Oi bands out there that um, kind of rise to the cream of the crop, but most of them are English. And while there are a few like American Oi bands, like the Antiheroes, the Kicker Boys, stuff like that, the best Oi bands are very British. And that's why, one of the reasons why uh, when it came time to do the vocals for the Boot Boys from the Wolfreich songs, unlike when we did the Fucker songs later, which I did the vocals on, there was, it was no question in my mind that I just wanted you to go ahead and do the vocals for the Oi songs because a British voice, I think, is very important to, to Oi. And so even though I wrote the lyrics and all that, I never had any intention of doing the vocals for the Boot Boys songs because I just, I, I always thought a British voice was important to Oi. I don't know how... I, I know you're not a big British nationalist by any stretch <laughs> of the imagination, but I wonder how you feel about Oi and its connection to, to, to your island. Well, like I previously said, it does it, it has got this sort of connection to patriotism, right-wingism, and so it's kind of, I don't know, it's you kind of don't really want to be associated with it. Yeah, but there are, I mean, not all the bands uh, of that come out of that are, are right wing. You got your Blitz, your, um, I mean, there, there are definitely bands like the Foreskins and, and, you know, bands that are, are shady in that, but there are uh, progressive left-leaning uh, Oi bands, Oi Poloi, for example, who were all vegan like us. And, um, you know, <laughs> Uh, had good politics. So not, not all Oi is created equal. <laughs> no, there's a there's a band from uh, Wales called The Oppressed. They've been, uh, they're a proper Oi band. They've been going since the early 80s. And mm-hmm. yeah, they're, they're totally anti-fascist. People should check them out, The Oppressed, because they're just, yeah, they're, they, they, are, they are a good band. But it's, I don't know, Oi, thing is as well some bands consider themselves oi they're not racist they're not right wing but they still fly a flag and they're still patriotic and yeah i'm just not into that shit really yeah, not into yeah exactly well yeah like um coxbar for example like one of their biggest songs is england belongs to me which mm. you know and i do like coxbar a lot um but uh you know, I think Take Em All is a better, better song. But within the text of Boot Boys of the Wolfreich, each chapter starts with a quote, and a lot of them are hardcore bands or oi bands. Like this one, chapter 11, starts with a quote from the Angelic Upstarts. And um, there's oppressed quotes. And, and so one way, um, I do feel like you can look through the book and find um, oi bands to discover and some hardcore bands, because there is Gorilla Biscuits and Sick of It All in there too. Um, but one thing that I did was I quoted oi bands that I like and oi bands that like here in chapter four has the foreskins. I'm not a huge fan of the foreskins. Uh, 
as a band, they're in the more kind of right leaning and um, shady territory. But um, I think their importance to the history of the whole skinhead thing was important. So I didn't, I want to make clear that not every band that's quoted is an endorsement, unlike uh, some of the bands I really do like, like The Oppress, for example. Um, and so um, why don't we check out the, the first song that we, that, uh, we wrote for, for this book, which is, um, I called it Howling in the Streets, which is uh, pretty cheesy, but I wanted to go for that kind of street rock thing. And, um, but, but the idea was, and first what Rad did was, you just sent me an Oi song. And my impression with what you were trying to do was to write something that was more in the style of a mid-tempo Blitz song. Like, and a lot of people know Blitz from the cover that Judge did of The Warriors, which has become like a big deal. Um, but Blitz uh, had some, some ultimate classics like Warriors and Someone's Gonna Die Tonight. Um, but I think their kind of like mid-tempo beat was what you were going for on Boot Boys of the Wolf Reich. Am I wrong on that? Uh, no, 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 that's right. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah. Although so I would say, I would even, but I would actually say that to me, Blitz were probably more punk than they were Oi anyway. <laughs> right. Well, and, and um, I do think that the, the two, that, that Someone's Gonna Die Tonight is, is, is absolutely one of the best punk or oi songs. Like, I mean, it's just a classic and it's one that everyone should check out. And it was referenced in the book, um, I believe directly. But, um, so let's see, we're going to share screen here for those of you who are watching. Um, now, one of the things that we, um, one of the things I did for Boot Boys of the Wolf Reich was I made a kind of unofficial soundtrack for on on a YouTube playlist. Some of the songs have been taken down, but uh, and the first song is Howling in the Streets. But you can see Cox Bar take them all. Blitz, someone's gonna die tonight. Uh, Foreskin's evil. There's a Descendant song, which has nothing to do with anything. That just has to do with the reference in the book. Um, the Business, Suburban Rebels, and a Hardcore Classic in um, Hard Times by the Cro-Mags. Those are all on the soundtrack. But, um, so what happened first was that Rat sent me the music with no lyrics. Um, and I consider myself really lucky when I was writing lyrics for these that um, I had the songs to work with. I don't know what lyricists do and they don't have a fully recorded song. <laughs> really helpful. So the video, if you're watching the video, this is the, uh, the song. The video was made by my friend Magic and it has like imagery from the the cover design, which was done by the amazing Australian cover artist, Matt Rivere. Um, he made the, the like really exploitation style um, cover art. Um, is there anything special that you did with the guitar sound there, Rat? Sorry. Um, I tried to get a shitty, dirty guitar sound, but it is so difficult to do that nowadays with the equipment that is available. And because I don't record through amplifiers, 
that mm. makes it because if you record for an amplifier you could just put it in the corner room put loads of shit in front of it have a mic too far away and get a real crappy sound but i don't do it like that because i don't record for amplifiers because it's pissing the neighbors off right. so i just so i just go through a, a, a box which has got no audio comes from it just through my headphones so it's really difficult to get a really really shitty guitar sound and one of the funny things about all the songs we did is I kept pushing you to make them sound shittier, <laughs> like over yeah. and over. And um, because one of the things is, is a, an oi band recording in the early 80s is, is going to, like you said, they're going to have like a setup where they're, um, they're in a shitty studio. They don't have time to record. They're probably recording live. Um, and, and it's the, the, the records sound kind of dirty and nasty. Um, because you can tell, like, they're not like Metallica spending six months tracking one guitar. Yeah. See, when we say shitty guitar sound, we don't really mean it sounds shit. It just sounds real and just really raw. Yeah, exactly. And I think I think what uh, what helped a lot of those bands get those those sounds. I think it was unintentional. Is their kit they used was real shit kit. You know, bad amps, speakers are probably blown, guitars are pretty shit. And they got those, they probably didn't want those sounds, but it made it what it is. That shit sound made those records so good, especially that Blitz. The guitar sound on Blitz is just incredible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, do I you think know what the, I think a lot of the bands used to use, um, like fuzz boxes and guitar pedals with mm -hmm. batteries in them. And the batteries, they'd probably be in the studio, keep rehearsing, keep rehearsing, and the batteries just start going, having less life in them, and then the sound gets even shittier which works. Yeah. And um, so with the, um, so let's pull back the song a little bit and listen to the first verse. Now, so the lyrics are are about the book. Um, the sun goes down on a summer's night. It's it all takes place in the summer of 1989, um, and it's all about like the kind of gang warfare between the Nazi skinheads and the anti-racist skinheads. And what was really fun was to paint the picture of the novel through the song, and which I kind of always pictured like oi music kind of going behind it so it was so fun for me to the first time you sent me the song to hear an oi song about this book it still gives me chills i still love it um and but one of the neat things coming up is is the chorus which is the title of the book which was super fun so Now, to do the gang, you did gang choruses. Is that just you overlapping yourself a bunch of times? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. It was just great because it sounds like a whole group, of, like you can picture in your head a whole group of um, skinheads all decked out, like sneaking into the studio and doing the backup vocals is how it would have been done back in the day. Well, it's easy to record it, but to actually do the vocals is, is kind of a bit more difficult because you do the first vocal, 
and then the other parts of the backing vocals, you, you want them to sound different like it's not you. So you'll try and sing them in a different key or you, you change your voice or something to make it sound like different people. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it just it just sounds like you, you know, four or five times. It needs to sort of you need to be able to detect sort of different voices, if you know what I mean. And it seems like you layered them a, a little off, so they weren't perfect. So there's like one of the vocals might be a little delayed over the other one, and it makes it sound organic. Um, we we and when we get to the to the fucker songs because we recorded the vocals, that's what we did with some of the, the gang vocals. And in fact, um, when we get to it, we also recorded a, um, uh, a live version of um, God Hates Sports. And that was when we really got funny with doing things in the studio with, with the vocals. So we'll get to that. Because both of us had to do all kinds of weird things to make the song sound like a live version. But um, and so this little guitar lead that you do after the chorus, let's, let's listen to that. That's kind of a very stylistic oi bridge, right? Um, what was the thinking on doing that little lead? I, I don't know, but I, I always like to do that. I, I like, there's there's an old band from uh, the UK called the Destructors, and the first time I heard them, they got they got uh, just a rhythm guitar, fuzz rhythm guitar, in the the lead guitar. So it was actually Gizbutt from Prodigy, mm. just playing lead solos over the top of everything. And I just thought that's really cool because it just makes things just gives it a bit more of an edge. So I've I've always liked adding lead guitar bits to to the songs, not just a lead solo, but lead guitar bits all the way through. Mm -hmm. And on that song, I think I must have just thought that at the end of the course, it's just good to have a little little thing going on, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like it. Um, well, obviously, I like the whole song, but... <laughs> So the, the second uh, verse is where you get more into the like urban warfare parts where he talks about the skinheads actually fighting and stomping each other and doing all that fun stuff. And that was fun lyrics to write. And so what I did and how I wrote the lyrics for this and like this is where I say I, I, I can't imagine writing lyrics if I didn't have a completed song because I've always been lucky to write lyrics for the most part based on completed songs and because I haven't done a lot of bands. Um, but what I was able to do was just play the song over and over and over in my headphones and have a notebook out. And I would sing the parts the way that I thought you would do it. But at the time we like, we didn't talk online as much or we, so really we were sending each other messages through Facebook saying like, this is how it should, you know, how it should be done. And I had to, to do, I think a little bit more of that was small town skin than I did with this one, because I think you got it right away. But um, some of the, kind of, some, some of the fun of this is, is, is being able to just, you know, I had to listen to this like 40 times while I was, was writing the, 
the lyrics and it was it was kind of fun to just like get into the head and the, part of the idea was to write as if i was in an old school oi band and write the song in that sense but also i was trying to think in terms of the characters of the book which is fun Now here you're straight up doing a guitar solo, but an oil. I'm Troyan. Yeah. Well, oi guitar solos were always terrible, so you didn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it fit perfectly. <laughs> Now this is fun part of of the of the song lyrically is is that I'm kind of trying to um, wrap up the song is like and I tried to think of it like a three act structure like you do a book. Um, this is kind of summing up like hey we're gonna keep fighting these Nazis and so like the first verse of the line is that the Nazis called on an evil power. This is now the boot boys hour, and the whole idea was like hey the Nazis called on these. On these magical, terrible powers. And I loved the line because it sounded so oi to me. This is now the boot boys hour. Um, it's real like, you know, yay raw skinhead, <laughs> which is uh, um, amusing uh, to write, but fun because it fits the book. And that howling in the streets is the cries of war. Super cheesy, I love it. <laughs> I think I could have actually do a much better job now if I'd done it now than back then. Hey, you could write more, more Oi songs for a, for a soundtrack. I am actually in the process of doing an OI project with uh, a few people, but I can't really say too much about it, but it's going to be interesting. Exclusive content here. Mm. All right. So the next um, song from that, we only wrote two songs and I don't remember how, I think you just basically told me like you had an idea for another song or for a song musically, you suggested to me doing the second song. Um, and because I was so stoked to have one song, I didn't, I don't, you know, I think you played me the music first. You just said, Hey, do you want to, do you want to do another song? Something like that. And when I heard the music, it reminded me actually, to be honest with you in a funny way, it reminded me of American Oi, which is a little <laughs> bit more upbeat. Like the two, the two biggest American Oi bands from back in the day are the Antiheroes and the Kicker Boys. And the Kicker Boys, um, I, I always remember because they had a song called I Hate Hippies that was great. Um, <laughs> and uh, but for some reason, the, the up-tempo of this, although, do you, do you remember what the influence was for the, the faster, more up-tempo song, Rat? No, no idea. <laughs> no idea. It's been a couple years. Yeah. 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 And um, 
So let's listen to a little bit of the song. Maybe I'll come back to you. Out of the two songs, I think this is the definitely the weaker song. Now, the lyrics of this are even cheesier. Now, so the idea for the lyrics of the song were, now the book is a coming of age novel, which is, which is a big thing in, in, um, in horror. And most of the coming of age novels were in the 80s were written by authors who came up in the 50s. And they would write novels like, like Stephen King's The Body, which became Stand By Me, um, or uh, Robert McCammon's Boy's Life. And these are all books that take place in the 50s. And my generation is starting to write coming of age novels that take place in the 80s. But a lot of these novels were written, they weren't written from a punk rock perspective. And coming up in my day, um, I grew up in punk rock and the skinhead culture. Um, obviously, I'm Jewish, so it was anti-racist skinhead. Um, and um, so I always wanted to do a coming-of-age story. But one of the things that was interesting about my experience as being a skinhead is I grew up in, in a college town, Bloomington, Indiana. And um, small, like, we didn't have a big skinhead scene. We would have, like, three or four people. In fact, in our skinhead scene, um, there was one point where our entire skinhead scene was four dudes who started a band called Stand Alone. And we record, we, we never recorded, but we wrote 13 songs and played a couple shows. Stand Alone is referenced in this novel, by the way, because it was the same summer. Um, and so, and what, what the funny thing is, is we did try to write one like oi, like typical oi song, but um, I don't remember what it was about, but it was really funny because we tried to write this song it was all like working class, like, yeah, we're these working class heads and we were all like, uh, like I'm, my dad's a professor. <laughs> I never worked a job a day in my life at that point. Uh, so it was really goofy. So in this song, I wanted to kind of like, something, um, is to write about the idea of being a small town skinhead. So, um, the first verse is back in the day, see through slow, small town kids, uh, small town skins had nowhere to go. And so the idea was to say like, like this is about a skinhead who has no skinhead scene because he grew up in a small town. Because the main character of Boot Boys of the Wolf Reich, he grows up not in Washington town, but Paul grows up in Carbondale, Illinois, which is also a college town. And when he first becomes a skinhead, in the beginning of the book, he has one not a part of the skinhead scene per se. And he goes, he moves to Chicago and becomes a part of the big, big town skinhead scene. So that's what the point of the song Small Town Skin was, was to like write this idea about this small town skinhead who grows up and goes to the big scene. Um, I like the beat of it, actually. I'm not sure. Sure, I think it's the weaker of the two. I think they're pretty similar in quality myself. But, um, but yeah, I like the fast beat. and the, Because there is fast way, too. It's not all just mid-tempo, like, sing-alongs, which is a lot of people think that's what all way is. Um, and so let's listen a little bit. Here. 
the chorus is small town skin a lot to learn that's not just rad singing back uh singing <laughs> backup vocals we also have cat in there and i like the use of male and female vocals uh, i know you were working with what you got at home <laughs> but um uh the 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 gang chorus in there is, is is really good, and I really I really like that. Um, any thoughts on the writing of this song at this point? I've gone on a lot about the vocals or the lyrics. The, the I don't like singing, so that doesn't help. And I think my voice sounds really really bad. But on the first song, I I was quite pleased with the the vocals because it was a bit oh, a bit more gruff. Yeah. This song maybe not so much. It's a shame as well that Cat couldn't have done done more vocals on it somewhere because she's actually got a really really good voice. She does she deny she's in denial of that, but she can really sing. Although maybe that wouldn't work on these style songs. Hey, well, you know, um, there's uh, uh, lots of uh, skinhead ladies in in this book, so uh, maybe uh, the next Oi song for the Boot Boy soundtrack. Cat can do the vocals. Um, yeah, no, I think it sounds that they sound really good there. Um, the chorus. Uh, and so the video, by the way, for this song, um, you can see um, my uh, friend Larry made this. And, and what was cool is because the book had been out for a while, the video incorporates a bunch of the um, positive reviews and blurbs that the book got later. Uh, so. Um, <laughs> That, that's kind of a fun part for me. Um, more of the song. By the way, I love that line. Hit the big city, get laced up. The gauntlet ain't no place for pups. And so the part of that was, is that um, there's a part of the book where um, when he moves to the big town, that um and skinheads did do stuff like this um we did it um where i where i grew up which is this we had this silly idea that if we fought each other to prove to each other that we were that we would we would stand and fight with our friends um that it would prove that we could trust each other and so there's a scene where all the skinheads have to stand and take a punch from everybody um, in the book. And that scene is called The Gauntlet. And so the line, the gauntlet ain't no place for pups um, was, was uh, a lyric that uh, I really enjoyed. <laughs> it's goofy, but it's from the book. You enjoyed the lyric, but did you enjoy the punch? What's that? You enjoyed the lyric, but did you enjoy the punch? Uh, I did not enjoy the punch back in the day. I may have lied <laughs> and said I didn't care. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, yeah, it was a really, I don't know. Guys are silly. <laughs> you probably don't really enjoy that little the come of age, but that is a very oi thing. And I, I'm pretty sure that like, that's the way I wrote it. and kind of encourage you to do it, but it's also like making sure that the verse extends all the way to the end of the, of the beat, I take it, right? Um, uh, I, I don't know, no, I, did, I enjoyed doing that bit. And okay. if, if, if I was better at um, working out how to sing stuff, I probably would have done more, more of that. Yeah, that's very oi. And so I, I like the, the melody of that, so. 
That's a really, really bad guitar sound. I like it. <laughs> See, I wonder whether um, non-British people can, can tell that my accent is from farmyard country and not, you know, not from London or anything where a lot of the oi bands probably came from. So that's what people would expect from an oi band is the Cockney accent and mine is not like that at all. Well, and that's the kind of thing that I think is really um, fun too. Uh, when I first met, um, the first time, I think it was 94, the first time we actually hung out in person and, uh, Chris came with you from England, told me at one point, he's like, rat's a redneck. <laughs> <laughs> that probably would be the equivalent, yeah. Yeah, he's like, oh, what are you talking about? Rat's a redneck. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I always thought that was funny because like we all thought um, just because you were British that, uh, that you didn't have such a thing. Um, but that's interesting to know about your accent. Now that last verse, I gave you a mouthful to work with. That was probably very hard lyrically to fit, but I was just trying to finish the story with, and if the fourth Reich wins, then all is lost was the line, which is um, uh, basically the fourth Reich being the, the, where, the, the boot boys was the, the goofy idea that they consider themselves the fourth Reich. Um, Repeats the verse. Because the come of age line is really important because that's the theme of the book. Blah! Was that your idea or was that my idea? I don't know, but we're not going to listen to Ignacio Front. No, I think you just did that. I loved it. But uh, <laughs> so, yeah, so let's move on to uh, any last thoughts on, on uh, the Boot Boys songs? Well, knowing what we're going to now listen, next listen to, I'd say the Boot Boys songs was probably easier for me to do, even though I wasn't. Now I'm not happy with the sound of them, but it was kind of easier for me to do. All right. Um, all right. So um, this other book that I wrote, Punk Rock Ghost Story, is a longer story because um, I originally had the idea for Punk Rock Ghost Story before Boot Boys of the Wolf Reich, as far back as 2010. And while it took like eight years to hatch this plan, um, I had pitched to my editor at Deadite, um, Jeff Burke, who's also a punk rock dude, the idea that I would I wanted to write a haunted punk rock tour van novel, and that part of the concept of punk rock ghost story was that 
this band from 1982, which I called the Fuckers um, from Indiana, had lost their singer on tour in 1982, and that there was this mystery. Nobody knew what happened to the singer of the band. And then this band called People's Uprising from 2015 uh, buys the Fuckers punk rock tour van, goes on tour, and then basically it's The Shining meets punk rock and he's possessed by the ghost of the singer of the original band. So the persona of the fuckers was really important to the book, much more so than the persona of the band from, that took place in, the, in 2004 when the book takes place, which was, um, that band in my head was like a catharsis style, like, um, or tragedy, like political punk band, and they were called People's Uprising. And there was thought at one time to recording pe people's uprising songs, but um, I didn't think that was as important because the idea was that I had was that to record fucker songs, we could do a Blair Witch style thing where we spent years trying to convince people that this band was real, that they really existed. Going so far as to press the records and to have seven inches and, um, to have songs out on YouTube for a year and a half before the book came out um, and floating around, we made um, a Discogs um, entry, uh, which I know is uh, considered super evil to record collectors to make a fake Discogs um, <laughs> um, entry. And I'm sure people will still be pissed at me for that. Um, and so, so, but part of the, the only way I could do this was as if we recorded actual fucker songs and put them out. So because we had had the experience of doing the Boot Boy songs, I asked Rap, would you have fun doing that? Uh, because I knew it was a lot to ask, but I also know that you really enjoy recording songs in your studio and you went above and beyond doing this favor for me. Because um, I, I didn't have any money. I couldn't pay you. I couldn't. Couldn't, couldn't do this. So you did this out of the love or the fun of fun of this. And so with a lot of my friends, um, for example, my friend John Shipper, who drew all the insane artwork uh, for the fake record, which includes a skull with a penis going through it and shooting um, jizz for the asterisk over the U. <laughs> um, it's just r ridiculous. And it's John, perfect. yeah, and John drew all this. <laughs> for me just because it was fun. And so basically a lot of my friends helped out and did took part in the documentary that we made a fake documentary, which you can look up on YouTube or I'll link here. Um, I'd imagine most of you, if you're watching this, you've already seen it. Um, so we made a fake documentary and did all this, but the important part of it was writing the music for the fuckers. So what I wanted was a seven inch, uh, five songs, and I think the bands, the cornerstone bands I sent to you, which I knew were not in your wheelhouse, were not bands that you listened to because you didn't listen to American punk from the early 80s. You were listening mostly to the stuff that was around you, correct? I mean, like... Yeah, the, the only U.S. stuff I would have listened to would have been the Dead Kennedys, yeah. MD, MDC slightly. Um, you know what? I can't even think of anybody else. Yeah, so... U.S. punk was never, never on my radar. Yeah, you just didn't care about it. So I sent you records by the Zero Boys, who would have yep. been the 
local heroes of the fuckers at the time in the early 80s. And uh, personally, their vicious cycle, um, vicious circle, excuse me. It's either vicious circle, I, it's funny, I'm about to say it's a classic record and it's one of my favorites, but I'm trying, I'm <laughs> trouble remembering the title. Um, <laughs> but uh, Zero Boys are foundational band for my home state of Indiana where the book takes place and they would have been the hometown heroes. So the Zero Boys were really important. And then another band I sent you was the Circle Jerks because um, I thought that the fuckers favorite band in the world or their favorite record would have been that first Circle Jerks record group Sex. And so that was um, like the two cornerstones I sent you was, and, and, and so I was asking you to write out of your wheelhouse. So I'm sure that's what you mean by saying that these were a little bit harder for you to write and record. Right? Yeah, yeah, because yeah, it just, I mean, I can pick the guitar up and I can write discharge riffs, just come out, you know? I can do metal riffs, I can do Slayer stuff, just pick the guitar up, it just happens. That stuff, no, because I'd never listened to it. So it was, it was a lot more difficult, but it was more fun really, because it was a challenge and I liked the challenge. Right, and so what did you think when I sent you Circle Jerks and Zero Boys? Did you like it or were you? No. No, no. <laughs> no, just really didn't do anything for me. Right, so that was probably added to the challenge as well, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, maybe in a way it made it slightly easier because if any of those bands I really liked, the, their style and their wrist would be stuck in my head and I'd be going, well, that sounds really good. Oh, hang on a minute, that is one, that is one of their riffs. So yeah. not liking them is probably a good thing. Right. Well, um, and the first versions you sent me sounded like way too clean. They were like, um, because I needed it to be like a low budget record from 1982 that, um, you know, would uh, sound like a bunch of dudes in 1982 just um, recording in a fucking garage. And the first version you sent me, they sounded great. The song sounded awesome, but I was like, Rat, uh, too good. <laughs> they sound too good. It's too, that's the thing. It's really difficult to get shit sounds with today's technology. It's not easy at all. The, the probably the better way would have to do it would have been if I'd had some friends who were almost musicians and recorded it live. Yeah. But mate, but try try to record it live, but done overdub so it sounded like it was in a studio. But then you'd have got a, a much crappier sound which would have worked better and what's different for you for that for these was that you sent me the songs and it was like five or six months later i sent back songs with vocals so it was a different experience probably for you because you're you're used to doing everything yourself so i don't know how how it was listening to the songs like months later when <laughs> when I don't know if the vocals turned out anything like you thought they would or, or, or I, you know, I don't know how that experience was. Listening. No, no, it's, it's good doing it that way because it's, um, I, I do a project with a friend in Germany and I'll, well, he'll write the guitar riffs in the bass, the rhythm guitar and the bass, sends them to me and he's got no idea what I'm going to do. I'll do the drums and then lead guitars, mm -hmm. send them back to him and just the vocals. But it's really good because he sends me stuff and I don't know what I'm going to do. I just listen to it, jam along. Oh, yeah, I'm going to do this. Yeah. Send it back to him to do his vocals. So 
I get it back. I, I hear two versions, the, the, the version without my stuff on it, then the finished version with his vocals. And it, I, that's just kind, kind of exciting, really, to know that. I enjoy that. Yeah, yeah. And for me, it was fun every time, like, a new uh, fucker song would come to me after you figured out the sound. And um, because for me, like, I had to get into... Um, so anybody who reads the book, if the, the song lyrics are kind of written into the novel. And that was, I had to go back and do that later because I had made up fake lyrics for the band when I wrote the first draft of the novel. But then when I actually had the songs, then, then I wrote the songs and then had to like kind of go back and retcon the novel to, to fit the songs. Although the themes and the ideas of all the songs were there because I was writing, when I wrote the lyrics, I, I had a fully formed, Frank, the singer of the fuckers, was a fully formed character in my head. So it was really interesting to sit down and write lyrics like Frank. And I tried to think like him and put myself in his shoes as I was writing it. Because I mean, some of the lyrics are super cheesy for me, but I, I was trying to write as Frank. So um, let's get into the songs um, now that we're doing that. Let's see, I got to share screen with y'all. All right, so there, I just made a playlist with all the songs. The very, um, they're a little bit out of order, but the first song on the seven inch is called Us Versus Them. Oh, right away. Um, I don't, I think we added the needle drops. Yeah, um, you did. Yeah, yeah. In the studio, the, the sound of the needle going down, because we wanted the idea that these songs were uploaded. And one of the things, if you look at, we made a, um, I made a YouTube channel for Richard Abrams. And this is my coworker who, who played uh, Dickie in the, um, he's an old punk rocker. And he played Dickie for, for, for the movie. And so this is his picture. And so I made a whole YouTube page and put all the songs up like he had put up the songs. And it's still funny to me that there's like 400 views of, <laughs> of these songs that uh, from this fake punk band. And so there's the cover for the seven inch for anyone watching the video. Um, and it's disgusting. And look, uh, he even <laughs> drew hairy balls and anarchy symbols <laughs> on there. So um, that's the cover of the record. So we added the needle drop and recorded the vocals. All right, so this song is kind of faster. It's got a kind of faster beat. Um, the lyrics, Us Versus Them, this was a cornerstone song because Part of the whole concept with Frank and his character is that he hates rednecks. He's at war with rednecks. And so this is, so it's funny because it's my, probably my least favorite of the fuckers songs, but it's the most important towards the theme of the book is this us versus them concept and, and fighting rednecks. So, and the, the lyrics are rednecks always starting shit. They can't fucking deal with it starting violence every time looking different is our crime so 
And that's all just like, because people forget that in the 80s before Nirvana and grunge made being alternative cool, um, when you were a punk rocker in the 80s in America, the rednecks and jocks wanted you dead. They wanted to fight you. They hated you. And it was like, they were constant bullies towards the punkers. And so punk rockers and um, like the rednecks and jocks were always fighting. And that's what the song is about. Anything on the music, Rat? Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I actually like the songs now, but I, I think I like them because because of the whole concept of everything. It was just such fun. And to me, the whole the whole concept of everything is kind of like the great rock and roll swindle, apart from not making loads of money, because yeah. it was just a massive swindle. It was a con. Yeah, exactly. And and um, so yeah, and I I don't know if you tried to think like an early '80s guy. I I mean that's what I was doing when 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 writing the, the lyrics. But uh, you know, a, early '80s American context for you is probably impossible for you to get your head around. Yeah, yeah, because it's not not the sort of music I listened to anyway. So it it could have been modern day music, really. Mm -hmm. Did you play Zero Boys and Circle Jerks a bunch before you sat down to write these? Yeah, songs? yeah. Yeah, if I, whenever I'm going to record, if I one day I decide, oh, I'm going to do some DB or a certain style of music, I just want to record some songs, mm -hmm. I'll just listen to that for days. Just listen to it on the way to work in the van. Just just listen to it, listen to it. It just gets drummed into me. So then when I pick the guitar up, it just seems automatic to write something like that. So, yeah, that's what I had to do for this, is just listen to those, those songs you sent me and uh, just try and get it into my head and get an idea. Right. All right. So. Ooh, now the breakdown. <laughs> Now this part, this breakdown is actually pretty heavy for, for a band from that era, but um, but I really liked the idea that, you know, I could see like the, the, the circle pit kind of slowing down and everybody just kind of fighting each other a little bit. And um, one of my favorite, some of the lyrics in this really crack me up because they're ridiculous and very funny. And there's a line coming up that is to me, one of the funniest lines in all the fuckers songs. Um, listen. He says in the halls of school. <laughs> he's talking about because these are like teenage kids. So like he's like, yeah, we're fighting in the halls of school, and so that line really cracked me up. <laughs> War, on the War on the streets. Us versus, Us versus them. them. Now this line, this this part, it's a war, you must fight. Now that is a vegan straight edge reference that um, will go over the heads of most punk rockers, but there was a Syracuse vegan straight edge band in the early 90s called Green Rage. 
and Green Rage had a militant animal rights song that ended with this very heavy part of the song. It's called Sea of Blood. And at the end, there was a sing-along where he said, this is a war, you must fight. And it was like this great sing-along. And um, so this was an inside joke uh, for vegan straight edge people. This uh, It was lost on me. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so the it's a war, you must fight was um, was an inside joke. Um, and I knew it would be lost on a lot of people, but um, I've had a few people say like uh, funny Green Rage reference. I've, a few people have caught it. Um, partially because it's a completely different musical part like the part is an e-chug like heavy breakdown in the green rage and i did it over a fast part here in the song um and i repeated it like 30 <laughs> 30 times so um but it also fit thematically as this idea that in the book, like he's saying like, hey, this, this is a war you got to fight. So any last comments on that particular song? Anything about the recording of the music of that? Or am mm, I moving on? I, yeah, I don't think so. Okay. Now here's the big one. Um, oh, my favorite fucker song is Conformity Factory. Conformity Factory. <laughs> Uh, that is like one of the seminal hardcore songs of my youth. So this is a part of the swindle and this lyric video um, is taken from the documentary and right here on your screen right now is um, country music singer Austin Lucas, country bluegrass singer, but Austin also grew up as a punk rocker in Bloomington, Indiana. Um, so and he's been in a bunch of like crusty like political bands before he start he started his focus on country and bluegrass and so austin was really um he was on tour in san diego uh doing his uh his country bluegrass show and i hit him up to do this interview and he was great just making up stuff about all of his different bands that covered the fuckers and he he was awesome and austin was a was a real mvp here and um Partially what's cool is that he has punk and country music cred. So it was really cool for me, for him to, to do this. And uh, what's funny is I hadn't recorded Conformity Factory when I did this interview. Um, wow. But I knew I'd written the lyrics. So when, I'm, when he's saying, oh yeah, Conformity Factory, that was a seminal song for my youth. <laughs> um, he was just banking that I was going to write a good song. <laughs> so I really appreciate uh, that Austin brought it here. And um, Conformity Factory is a lot of people's favorite songs from this record. Um, and musically, I, I think it's the best. I, I'm not going to name names, but a uh, singer of one of my favorite hardcore bands just in the last couple of days told me that it was a legit song, um, a legit great punk rock song. Um, I'm not going to put him on blast, but, um, but he did say that to me the other day. So. So this song has like a slower kind of like jumpy beat and um, it has more melody 
to the choruses with the um and so the idea with the lyrics of conformity factory was like pissed off high school kids from the early 80s so the lyrics like fuck your izod fuck your team like so izod in the early 80s was like this preppy jock shirt that kids in america wore and it had a little um alligator logo on it so it's a totally lost reference that doesn't mean shit to anyone. <laughs> it's not from 1982. So for him to say, fuck your eyes on, fuck your team, um, he's saying, fuck your sports, obviously you jocks, but the preppies too. So the, the preppies were always wearing eyes on shirts. So the, the fuck your eyes on, fuck your team. And so the idea is obviously high school is like a factory of, just conformity and just everybody fit in and do all that stuff. So that that's what was going on. Um, so I, I do um, love that the uh, the beat of it is is slower and mid tempo. Uh, is there anything? I mean, we I don't know if you remember anything about writing the music for this one because I think this is this, this is the best of of the songs musically. Yeah, I think it is as well. Um... Now, I don't really remember because I was listening to those, the Zero Boys and Ever stuff, whatever you sent to me at the time. And I haven't listened to that stuff since. So I don't remember what, you know, what kind of inspired me to do that. I would just listen to the songs and pick my guitar up and just play it again. Because that song is kind of quite the, the, the tunes are quite melodic for me. It's not really my sort of thing to write melodic sort of kind of happy sounding tunes, you know. Right. And it does kind of have like a happy like beat and that's what I think makes it a catchy song. And um and that's what I think people are responding to and saying that it's a it's a uh, a really good song is um is that it is very catchy and so and I love Larry edited this video and put all the old circle pit videos. Cops and teachers the same. <laughs> it's a very repetitive song. You got a little lead there. See, maybe the reason why this song works so well is because the the guitaring is quite melodic, but your vocals are just angry. Yeah. So they sort of contrast each other a bit, but it works really well. Yeah. Yeah. And that was an idea. And, and, and I should talk a little bit about recording the vocals. So um, I was lucky because I had a friend through um, <laughs> actually my um, football fandom was a, a friend, Garrett Sisti, who recorded a podcast for the football team that I followed at the time, which can fuck off and go to hell because they left our town. Um, but uh <laughs> Garrett did this podcast and he like mentioned offhandedly that he worked at a studio that his job was working at a studio and they would go in and record on weekends their podcast and that the guy who owned the studio didn't mind that he just that they just went in in the off time and recorded and so I again calling on favors I asked Garrett I was like hey would you have fun 
because I always ask people first, would you have fun doing this? I said, would you have fun recording vocals for, you know, and I told him what we were doing with the fake record and everything. And he thought it was awesome and thought it was fun. So um, Anthony Trevino, who's my co-writer on my a novel called Nightmare City. And um, Anthony is one of the other um, hosts of my podcast, Dickheads. Anthony and I went out there, we drove out there and um, we recorded all the vocals in one afternoon. And basically what we did is that like Garrett engineered all the, um, all the recordings. And so, and he was really good because he was able to do things like loop some of like, you know, the choruses for conformity factor, we only recorded one time and we just looped them after that. And then um, Garrett and Anthony and I would do all the backup vocals. So like literally like he had in the engineering booth, he would push play so we could listen to it. And then we'd all run into the room, put on the headphones and then just record them live. We'd play it through. And so we had a track that was, and so we would listen to the track of us with no music, just waiting. And then we'd be like, fuck your eyes up, fuck your team, you know? And then, um, and so we had that fun experience of just, because in the room, it was just hearing us yelling, fuck your eyes out, fuck your team. And what's funny is the studio is in a building with a bunch of other stuff. And I'm sure like other people walking in the building just would randomly hear us yell, fuck your eyes out, fuck your team, which is fun. And, uh, but yeah. completely improvised there for um for austin so um so the next song is god hates sports and um i what's funny is part of the fun of writing this is that i'm a big sports fan so um but i when i was young and into punk rock i went through a phase where i didn't care about sports because it wasn't cool like sports and being into punk rock um but uh, this one, lyrically, I, I had a lot of fun writing. Um, and I do think this is a really good song, too. Um, I would say this is the second best song by Conformity Factory. But uh, listen to this one. It has this buildup with the bass like that. It kind of has like a little bit of bass lift. Like the guitar slide. Some nice little uh, things you put in there. So this is one of the longer songs tracking at two minutes. Uh, early 80s songs were short. Um, so some of the lyrics, jock Nazism, it makes out sports to be like the worst thing in the world. Um, 
the high school nationalism, the idea with that is that, you know, like the jocks are all into America and gay rod and all that. That was kind of fun. I love that chorus. Uh, God doesn't care if you win the big game. God hates sports and thinks it's lame. Um, and so I always love the chorus for this song. Um, it cracks me up. Um, so there are backup vocals there that specifically in that in the end of the chorus where it says god hates sports if you listen really closely there's a second single voice and that's just anthony yelling sports by himself <laughs> um and we thought it was really funny to do bad backup vocals that don't make sense so he doesn't sing the whole line god hates sports he just yells sports um, which is really funny, um, intentionally shitty recording. And I kind of always liked the idea of the bass player just yelling sports at that point. Um, we do more of that in the live version. Here's another thing too about God Hate Sports is this, we did, we recorded the vocals in order of the songs. Like we went and did them. And this is when we started to get more creative <laughs> with recording the vocals and doing shitty stuff. Like I was saying, like recording sports just by itself and just doing that. We, we, we were just getting uh, more creative with that because Garrett was showing me, he, he's like, yeah, we could do this or we could do that. And, um, there are times with God Hates Sports where we intentionally did the timing wrong um, for the verses. It's intentional um, where it's not quite on rhythm with the song. And we first started doing that on this song. And uh, in my head, it was the idea that they were getting tired <laughs> and just doing a shitty job recording. <laughs> So you got that little lead there. There's that's very rat. I like that lead. It gives it a little bit of melody. Before yeah, I don't know, how, I don't know how that that came up. It just just when you when you're jamming on a guitar, things just your fingers just go different places, and you just try stuff out, and that obviously worked. Yeah. So that's a hilarious line at the end of the song, which is um, you get violent when you lose and take it out on the nerds, <laughs> which is a really funny line because I said this idea that they're pissed off that every time their football team loses, the nerds get beat up. <laughs> and so that was the idea with that. Um, take it out on the nerds. Um, I intentionally had you do a bunch of feedback and shit at the end here. 
Yeah, the idea of that was just um, being really unprofessional in the studio, I guess. You know, not sort of letting the guitar slowly die out, just sort of getting a guitar to put it down, even though the, the engineer's still recording everything. Yeah, the dog is in the Zoom, not the song, but... Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, and and I had asked you to do some of that stuff, and and I think that was like one of the best examples where the idea that that they're just that they kept rolling and not, no one knew to stop it. Like I kind of pictured the engineer being like, "Oh shit, I gotta, gotta stop this." Um, and so uh, one of the funnier songs. So this song is called Carter Sucks, Reagan Swallows. And this is to put it in the time, because 1982, they, we just got out of Jimmy Carter's being president in the US. They're and writing a song for an 80s figure in the US, there had to be a Ronald Reagan song, right? <laughs> there had to be a song about Reagan. But I also like the idea that weren't liberal kids that they just they fucking hated it all and um so and i had kind of hit my stride writing the lyrics on this one even though it's not one of my favorite songs um the lyrics are the most ridiculous in this song of any of them but any good anyone punk early 80 punk lyric so So this first verse is all just about Jimmy Carter, um, hostage crisis, love canal. These are like actual things that people were shitty with Jimmy Carter for doing. There's a lot of revisionist history on Jimmy Carter because he's considered like the saint now because he builds houses. He's like in his 90s building houses for people and like he's a great ex-president but he was a shitty president. <laughs> and so these are some of the things that um, I was writing into that. Musically, the song's a little bit faster, has a little bit more of a circle pit vibe. Um, and that's why I chose it for Carter Sucks, um, because it's a little bit angrier. Fun little lead. So the lyrics are still about Carter here. Any energy deregulation, um, Operation Eagle Claw, which was a failed military coup, I believe that was Jimmy Carter was involved in. And then the last line of this verse is, um, go back to your peanuts, because Jimmy Carter was a peanut farmer <laughs> before he got into politics. So it kind of cracked me up to go back to your peanuts. <laughs> and by the way this is a really good uh build up to the breakdown um i'm gonna rewind it a little bit i like the um, way you played the drums there
That is really bad punk lyrics. Worse and fucking worser. <laughs> um, but it cracks me up. Um, and then there's a line coming up that I'm very proud of <laughs> for bad punk. So the lyric there is worse and fucking worser. The only thing worse is John Hinckley's aim. John Hinckley, of course, is the guy who tried to shoot Ronald Reagan and, well, he shot him, but he didn't kill him. So <laughs> the, the lyric that the only thing worse is John Hinckley's aim. <laughs> pretty proud of that punk lyric, actually. That's, uh, that's pretty good. So then the song goes back to fast, and then it's all Reagan from here on out. Yeah, um, Cowboy with Our Nukes, Bedtime for Bonzo, that's a um, Reagan movie. Um, Reagan Will Kill Us All, which is funny. Um, All right, so uh, we're almost done. And the, the story between, behind 15-year-old uh, Punk Kid is very funny. Um, this song is nine seconds long. Uh, I like when punk bands do nine second or 10 second songs or Napalm Death, for example, is famous for Dead, which I've just, uh, just covered just now, um, <laughs> if I say it. And so I wanted a short punk rock song. And then the idea was um, that in, 2000, the year 2000, I know that makes it sound really science fiction, but um, back in 2000, I was living in a house with a bunch of vegan straight kids and we did a joke punk band or a joke uh, grindcore band called Moshed Into Oblivion. And 15 year old punk kid was actually a Moshed Into Oblivion song, uh, this exact song. And um, so I, I, part of the myth of the fuckers is I wanted to, I was trying to convince people who were at that show that the band was real and everyone, a couple of my friends really remembered 15 year old punk kid is the best MIO song, the best motion into oblivion song. So the idea was I started trying to convince some of my friends in Indiana that, that, um, that 15 year old punk kid was actually a cover of the fuckers <laughs> that 15 year old punk kid was on this record in 1982. And a couple of my friends that like my friend Ian, who, um, Brewdog, who's in the documentary um, and was briefly in MIO, helped me like tell people that the song was a cover. And so uh, it's a very simple song. It goes like this. <laughs> so the whole song is very fast. I saw you a block away get picked up by your dad. He's fat. That's it. <laughs> and so I just explained it to you and said, it's gotta go fast while it says this, fade for a second, and then just, he's fat. That's it. <laughs> um, so I don't, you probably, I don't know if you just thought I was insane when I sent you this, but I said, I need you to write this seven second song. <laughs> nine seconds, it's nine seconds. Um, I don't know how that played for you. <laughs> 
but I, I, I trusted that you knew what you wanted. So yeah, it's cool. Yeah. And so last, the very last thing is that we did a live version of God Hates Sports. And so what I asked you to do, I don't remember how I framed this to you, but I just said it needs to sound really, really shitty. And so, and I explained to you that we were going to add crowd noise and all this stuff to make it sound like a live song. So I don't really know how, how you approached recording the, um, the music for it. I don't know if you remember. Yeah, I do. Can, and I, I think this is probably the funnest song that we did really, because <laughs> what I did is the drums were already down. It was the same drums, just sounding different. Yeah. And I did the guitars and the bass and I didn't concentrate specifically didn't really concentrate so hopefully i fucked it up and i'd have to carry on going because that's what we because if you're recording if you're going to do something a punk band like this if you're going to be recording uh, playing a show it's not going to be perfect it's going to be fuck up so it was really really good to you know accidentally do a fuck up which i think i did more so on the guitar i think the bass was okay but the guitar i fucked up on the where i come into the lead i think and that was the other thing because the lead solo on the, the 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 record goes over a rhythm guitar. Yeah. But the band only had one guitarist, so I had to play the rhythm, come to the solo, do the solo, which usually means it all sounds really weak then because there's no rhythm guitar behind it. But that's the way it would be. The, that's the way it would be done live. So that was really fun to do. Right. And so one of the interesting things about doing the live is I wanted to have. Frank Fucker introduced the song, but I knew I couldn't do that. Even though I did all the vocals, I couldn't do that because people would instantly know it was my voice if they knew me. Yeah. So Anthony had to do, um, my uh, co-author Anthony had to do um, the introduction. And uh, so let's, let's listen to the song now. Now, oh. I should mention that the idea was that it was live at the 930 club in DC. 930 club was where a lot of the big hardcore shows happened in the, in the early eighties. There's a famous minor threat record that's live at the 930 club. Um, I think the 930 club is still there. It was still there the last time I was in DC, uh, probably like 15 years ago. Um, it, it was there 20 years ago and 930 club is, it's become bigger. I think they expanded it think i don't know i'm not a big dc person but um it was a famous club so i thought the idea of it and then part of the concept of it is that dc at the time was a very positive posi scene because they had bands like government issue and dag nasty and minor threat well at this time it would have been like teen idols and minor threat teen idols would have just given way to minor threat but government issue would have been a band but it was a very positive scene. Everybody was all about being positive, positive and posy. And so the fuckers would not go over well in DC. And so I like the idea that he's like mocking or yelling at the audience for being like straight edge goody two shoes. And uh, so that was like part of it. So that's funny because he says, who's your team in DC? The Redskins, fuck the Redskins. Well, what's funny is that we, in the real world just now, um, 
the D the team in DC just dropped the name Redskins finally <laughs> um, for admitting that it was racist. So that's kind of funny. So I like the idea that he's like, yeah, you, that's your team here. Yeah, fuck your team, you know. And uh, so that's that. Um, the bass is really loud <laughs> here, almost louder than the guitar. <laughs> you know, that's the, again, that's that's the sort of thing that would happen live, and especially if if somebody was recording it through a shitty cassette player or something, they'd be probably they could possibly be stood in the wrong place. Or maybe I should have I should have uh, mixed the drums to. One, well, I guess they'd be in the center. I don't know, made, made one of the cymbals or the hi-hats or something really loud as if somebody was recording it from there. Or was it supposed to be recorded for the PA? I can't remember. It was supposed to be recorded through the PA. Oh, okay, no, it would be like that then, I guess. It definitely sounds shittier, out of tune. Now there, you can already hear my voice cracked intentionally. It says, uh, wave your fly before the game. It's like, I intentionally did it that way. Um, you listen really closely there. It's so fucking lame. <laughs> like, uh, I'm intentionally cracking my voice there. Oh, and there's tons of echo and reverb on the vocals in this one. Um, and it's funny because I told Garrett when we were recording it, like, there's hardly anyone there. <laughs> right the so, and then he was like, yeah, let's put a bunch of echo on it. And I was, that was his idea. Um, Um, there are backup vocals there. They're completely off. Um, like, um, we were like literally pushing each other over when we were recording them just to like make it sound even worse. Like we were literally kind of pushing each other and doing shit during this version of the, of the vocals um, to make it sound like we were like in the middle of chaos. Now there we specifically added feedback you can hear it um like the idea was supposed to be that the microphone is feeding back and um we chose to do like it was funny because we thought about actually doing it during one of the record songs because there was one like line that i had trouble with um when one of the times we were recording it and um that was 
that was the line. So we can go back and listen to that just a little bit. So you can hear the feedback. Guitar solo is great. <laughs> oh, and that's Anthony yelling, hey, hey, take that shit outside. <laughs> uh, as if there's a fight going on during the guitar solo. Uh, go back. Don't be like them, he yells. Don't be like the Jacks. <laughs> and then Anthony yelling that. So the, ooh, we don't want that. Um, so, <laughs> well, that was scary. Um, so the idea was um, at the end, the whole like, I thought you guys were supposed to be positive because they're in DC and they're fighting. And uh, um, I just really went for voice cracking and not being able to sing all the vocals on the live track. So that was definitely the most fun for us recording the vocals because we got really creative and and like with the noise feedback and the things like that and tried to paint a picture and one thing that was cool is that if you saw on the on the video that i made for it is that i was able to use the promotional material for the book because we waited till after the book was out to release the live song because the idea was that even if um the fuckers were a real band and all that stuff it was more plausible that I would come along a, uh, a recording of a live track as the guy who wrote the book about this band. And so, and we, we, that we held that one off until the book was out, I think, or almost out. I think that that live version's uh, probably quite believable apart from the quality is too good really for a live recording, which yeah. is a shame. Yeah, but it's pretty. If any band, if any band, if any band got a live recording like that, they'd be well happy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, but yeah, I think it's believable, and we tried to make it believable with the feedback and the and just try to, to to fuck things up intentionally. So yeah, so those are all the songs that we recorded for the two the two projects. Um, uh, it was a lot of fun to do. It was cool to do something creative and different with the books. Um, one of the things for me in doing books like Boot Boys and Punk Rock Ghost Story is that um, it gives the books more life to kind of imagine, you know, the, the music is, is being real. So it was a real gift for me, um, a thing that you as my friend uh, did for me uh, to, to make this real. And um, there's very little that a, a, um, an author can do to promote a book to get 
500 views of something that promotes a book is almost impossible. But uh, if you write a song or do something like that, then, then that will work. And it also, because we were doing the documentary, um, added credibility to make it think that it was real. And of course, uh, your partner Kat also helped in that because she played a role um, in the documentary um, as uh, Lizzie, Lizzie, Liz somebody, Lizzie Plagadelphia, Lizzie, um, and uh, was great in in the documentary. And uh, so you guys both played a role, and I really uh, can't thank you enough for that because it really adds to the book. And the the idea of of just making this fake band was super fun. I don't know how you felt. Uh, now, having listened back to all of them, do uh, you have any final thoughts on on um, the, the Fuckers songs? It was just fun. It was just really fun to do. And to, to see, to see the, uh, the final, what we'd done, and then the book coming out and everything, and people still not really knowing it, it was just, it was fake. It was just brilliant. Yeah, and it did fool people that there was an article in uh, a paper in, in Indianapolis that talked about the the fuckers as if there was a band that people would remember. Oh wow! And uh, that was kind of the highlight of the of the fakery of the swindle <laughs> uh, that it fooled. It did fool a few people, and there's definitely if you look at the comments on YouTube, there's definitely people saying like oh yeah I, I i saw at least one person say oh yeah they were a great band and stuff like that and <laughs> it was very hard to you know i think that for us like we're nitpicking it because we're listening to it as the people who recorded it but i think if you're somebody who is just happening along and just finds a song that it would be believable and that's yeah yeah yeah, that was one of the things that was that was fun about it. Um, I think the two, the, two, the, the two worst things about it was the recording quality was too good. And the second thing that I forgot to say was when I, I did the labels for the record, I should have got you guys to do it because I did it too today. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't, oh, I eight, it wasn't eight is enough. It didn't go. It didn't really go with the cover, you know. The label should have been some hand drawing stuff with dicks on it or something, you know. Yeah. Well, it was funny because when John did the cover, I just, uh, I, I, I didn't know just how many um, dicks he was going to draw. On but, uh, but yeah, the the anarchy symbols and everything are super great. Um, and uh, yeah, and John, by the way, is a musician himself and. Um, big and straight edge people would know him from uh, Warcry. He played guitar in that band. So. Oh, right. Okay, yeah. And uh, all right. So uh, just to wrap things up, uh, Rat, uh, any of your music you want to promote? Um, you want to talk about any of the projects you're working on? Mm. There's a lot of stuff. A lot yeah. of stuff. If there's anybody out there, anybody out there, vegan strategy wants to do vocals, hit me up because I hate doing vocals. <laughs> Yeah, I bet there's some people out there that might call you up on that. Um, yeah. Yeah, if I had a studio, I'd love to do it, but uh, it's uh, vocals. I think need a need proper equipment. You can't just do it on shite. So there's a lot of people I've spoken to who have said, yeah, they want to do vocals, but they if if they haven't got the money to go in a studio, trying to do it at home is it's not it's not easy. It is not. All right, so um, uh, I really appreciate your time, especially uh, for recording the songs. And uh, it's awesome to see you sort of in person. Um, and- uh, That's me. 
Yeah. Um, thank you, Rat.